What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Combo Show. I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and I apologize for not releasing an episode last week. I had a bunch of stuff going on, both just family stuff, you know, birthdays in the family. I uh, had that going on. The Clippers practiced like three times last week, which I think is a record this season. So I just had a bunch of stuff going on. Didn't have enough time to prep. Didn't have enough time to record. So I figured, you know what? Let's let this Russ experiment rock for another week. And then I will hop back on here and break down my thoughts on how he and the team have looked post trade deadline. And that is exactly what we're going to do here today because there's really uh, not much else to talk out, uh, excuse me, talk about other than the Russell Westbrook edition because so far I think it has been pretty good. And I think the numbers would tell that story as well. So without further ado, let's dive right into it. So far with the Clippers, Russell Westbrook has been the biggest on-off positive on the entire roster. When he is on the floor, and this is per 100 possessions, all these on-off numbers are always per 100 possessions, the Clippers are 11.6 points better per 100 possessions with Russell Westbrook on the floor as opposed to when he's off. That is not only the biggest swing on the team post-trade deadline, or excuse me, post-All-Star break, but it is the biggest swing on the team for the entire season. Now, I posted this on Twitter. A lot of you guys may have already seen it, but amongst all the players who have stepped on the court for the Clippers this season, Westbrook's plus 11.6 on off swing is the best margin on the entire team. After that, it goes Kawhi Leonard plus 9.5, Paul George plus 8.2, Luke Kennard plus 7.5, and that one hurts me to say, and Nicholas Batum plus 6.9. Those are your top five on off leaders for the Clippers across the entire season. Russell Westbrook is right there at the top. So when you look at the struggles that the Clippers had in those five games post all-star break after adding Russell Westbrook, yes, some people were trying to make the argument that his addition threw rotations out of whack, which was the reason for those losses. But unfortunately, something that I talked about on Twitter after they dropped some of those games is something that I've talked about on this podcast so many times throughout the course of the season, nothing that Westbrook did or didn't do during those five games, at least in my eyes, would have changed the outcome had he not been there. Because the Clippers had been poor against teams over 500 all season long. Going into that five-game stretch, they were the third worst team, third or fourth worst team in the Western Conference against opponents that were 500 or better, and then after that five-game stretch, they were the third worst, only with the Spurs and the Rockets having worse records against winning teams than the Clippers in the Western Conference. So Westbrook's addition, while people were so honed in on that and looking specifically at how the team was performing after adding him, so many people ignored the fact that the Clippers had been struggling against good teams all season long, and the addition of Russell Westbrook was not the reason why they were all of a sudden once again still losing to good teams. There were the same problems present that the Clippers had before Russell Westbrook during that five-game win, excuse me, five-game losing streak, and they were not a product of his addition. And I tried to make that point on Twitter. It fell on a lot of deaf ears, but I think you're starting to see over these last three games some real chemistry, continuity, 
and lineup structure beginning to form with with Russell Westbrook in the mix. And that's important. It needed to happen sooner rather than later because at the time of his addition, there were less than 20 games remaining. So I want to dive back into the stats. That's that on-off number, and I think that's probably the most important one because it's showing you the Clippers are very good when he's on the court. And that's what matters most. If you're going to add a big piece like Russell Westbrook, what is he going to provide you in terms of overall team impact when he's on the floor? And so far, it's been very good. But I also want to dive into some of the stats that I mentioned in my initial Russell Westbrook episode, talking about driving and kicking, assist percentage, things of that nature, because those were the types of things that I was specifically interested in seeing, because that is what Russell Westbrook projects to provide. And that's a driving kick game on a Clippers team that can shoot the three at a very high clip. It seemed as if that fit was going to go well and shocker to, I mean, maybe Lakers fans, but not a lot of Clippers fans. It actually has worked out well so far on his drives with the Clippers. Westbrook is assisting on 15.7% of his drives, and that is a little bit higher in the clip that he was assisting on with the Lakers. And if you remember in my first podcast episode talking about Russell Westbrook, his driving numbers were not only through the roof in terms of the amount of times per game that he was driving, but his efficiency on those drives was also incredibly high. Top one or two in the league in so many of those driving statistics. And that has remained the case with the Clippers. His assist percentage is the seventh best mark in the entire NBA post All-Star break on his drives and he has continued to do that at a very high level and now he is dishing to good capable shooters which has really been a game changer for both him and the Clippers and it's not just drives that Westbrook is passing out of he is just all the time looking to make the right play and that's something Paul George talked about on his podcast and he said it and he's the guy out there playing with him he said Russell Westbrook is always looking to make the right play he is always trying to create easy shots That is a responsibility that Russ has openly taken upon himself. And guys like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, other guys, role players on the team have talked about how much easier he has made their life by being out there and having that Hall of Fame point guard mindset of trying to get other people involved and create easy looks. With the Clippers, Russell Westbrook has raised their pass per game number much higher than it was prior. And I saw that stat on Twitter It was kind of being shared around. It wasn't as consistent to what I saw on NBA.com. That's where I get all my stats. So just disclaimer on that. When you hear me throwing out a lot of these numbers, I'm getting it from the NBA's official site where you can filter out so many different statistics. And on NBA.com, right now, they have the Clippers passing the ball 294 times per game post All-Star break, which ranks eighth best in the entire NBA. Before the All-Star game, they were dishing out almost 20 fewer passes per game at 275 per contest, which ranked 20th in the entire NBA. So they were bottom 10 pre-All-Star break, which is pre-Russell Westbrook, and they are now top 10 post-All-Star break with Russell Westbrook in passes per game. And it's not just passes that the Clippers are throwing. They're throwing assists as well because you can pass the ball as often as you want, but if it's not resulting in assists, And of course, it doesn't matter as much. Before the All-Star game, the Clippers were averaging 22.9 assists per game, which ranked 25th in the entire NBA. And again, that's pre-Russell Westbrook. Now, post-All-Star and with Russell Westbrook, the Clippers have jumped all the way up to ninth 
in assists per game at 25.9. So three more assists per game that they are dishing out as a team post all-star, which is once again, top 10 in the entire NBA. So as you look at so many of these stats, playmaking stats, assist stats, driving stats, efficiency on those plays, efficiency on those drives. The Clippers were bottom 10 in so many of those statistics before adding Russell Westbrook, and they now put him into the mix. And of course, it's a small sample size. You guys know me. I don't like diving into too many of these stats on smaller sample sizes, which is partially why I didn't try to force my podcast episode last week either. I wanted to let a bigger sample size accumulate, and it's still a little bit smaller than I would prefer. But that said, it's what we have to work with right now. And with the season being so condensed post-All-Star, especially for the Clippers, since they played a historical amount of games pre-All-Star break, we have to work with the data that we have, which is why I've decided to dive into these stats and give them to you guys, despite the fact that they are a little bit smaller sample size than I would prefer. But long story short, the Clippers have been very good with Russell Westbrook on the floor. And if they were being very bad with him on the floor, I would tell you that as well, because they don't have enough time to really work out too many flaws in their rotations. Because just to put it quite simply, they weren't good enough to start the year to build a big enough cushion to sustain a stretch of bad play while you're trying to figure things out. They have to be good, and they have to be good now. And so far with Russell Westbrook, they have been when he is on the floor. Of course, they're only 3-5 and five after that five-game losing streak, but they're on a three-game winning streak, and they have been looking much better as of late. Now, another thing I want to look at and another thing I want to mention is that when we're talking about all these stats, it also includes the fact or excuse me, it also includes the minutes when Russell Westbrook is not on the floor. And one of the things that we just talked about is that the Clippers have been dominant when he has been on the court and they have been poor when he has been off the court. So far with Russell Westbrook, the Clippers are negative 9.3 points per 100 possessions with him off the floor, which is a bigger swing than Kawhi Leonard and Paul George combined. So when you talk about all these stats, and the Clippers being top 10 in so many of these rankings since acquiring Russell Westbrook, that is not just with him on the floor. That is as a team. So it is also factoring in the very poor minutes that they have produced with him on the bench. So I think his impact is actually even greater than some of those stats would lead you to believe because the team has been so poor with him off the court. And I hope that's something that they're able to correct as guys get more comfortable in their new roles. Now, before I move on from Russell Westbrook, I do want to talk pretty extensively about this one point. And it's something that I hit on in my initial episode talking about him was one of the major pros that I talked about in adding Russell Westbrook. And that is his overall persona, his overall people are using the word aura right now on Twitter. Obviously, it's a little bit of a joke, but I think when you talk about Russ, he does provide that swag, that energy that overall intensity that, in my opinion, the Clippers have been severely lacking since they traded Patrick Beverly. They have been lacking a vocal leader on the court, and that is exactly what Russell Westbrook is. I asked him specifically about this in the locker room a few games ago because you can be a vocal leader, you can be a guy who's comfortable leading, but when you join a team, that is in many ways three-fourths of the way through a season and is in their fourth season together as a core, coming into that brand new locker room and being the same vocal leader that you had been on teams past when for the most of your career, those were your teams, it's a lot different. 
So I asked him, I said, Russ, is it hard, despite the fact that you are a vocal leader and these guys have so much respect for you, is it hard entering a new locker room and continuing to lead in that way when it's brand new? And he smiled and he said, not really. He said, not really. He said, I believe God has blessed me with that gift, has blessed me with the ability to be not only a leader, but also a listener and take criticism from my teammates, take criticism from the coaching staff and try to continue to get better. And I thought that was pretty remarkable because there's so many guys who can feel comfortable leading in certain environments, but to be able to get dropped into a brand new situation and still be a vocal leader to the point that guys are praising your voice in the locker room, the coaching staff is raving about your voice out there on the bench, on the court, in the locker room, in the practice facility. That is something that you either have or you don't. And Russell Westbrook has it. And I believe it's something that the Clippers needed arguably more than anything that he could provide on the court. That level of intensity is something they have been severely lacking. If you watch this team on the re- on a regular basis, I believe you would agree with me because Patrick Beverly was a guy who brought it every single night. And since he's been gone, it really feels like the Clippers haven't had that same level of intensity. Russ is a guy that whether he's on the court, whether he's on the bench, whether he's in the locker room, in the practice facility, in the gym, it doesn't matter. He is going to bring that intensity And that is something that championship teams have and something that I think the Clippers have been lacking, but they now have in the addition of Russell Westbrook. And don't just take his word for it. Talk to any of his teammates, any of his coaches. Look at the quotes that I've reported about what they have said about him. They have said consistently how important his voice has been. And that was even during a rough five-game losing streak. His first five games with the team were very rough. They blew games down the stretch, and yet he remained positive whether his role was 35 minutes in a closing role or 22 minutes and he didn't see another second on the floor in the fourth quarter. It has not mattered. He has brought that positivity, brought that energy, brought that intensity, and it's starting to rub off on a lot of the guys, particularly the team's two stars in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, in my opinion, from what I have observed. So before I moved forward, I wanted to hit on that point Because that's not something that you're going to find on NBA.com. That's not something you're going to find an advanced analytic for. But it's something that I truly believe is just as important as any of the stats that we've talked about on this podcast so far. I truly believe that it is that important. And Russell Westbrook provides it to an elite degree. Now, when we look at the lineups that he has been playing in, part of the discussion and part of the I don't want to say downside, but perceived downside from some people about adding him is that he was going to enter as an immediate starter after coming off the bench with the Lakers, which was going to move Terrence Mann to the bench. Now, there were, of course, some people who were hopeful that he would start alongside Mann and Marcus Morris would be the guy going to the bench, but that has not happened. It has been Russ, PG, Kawhi, Morris, and Zoo. Those have been the five for the Clippers every single game he has been here when they have been fully healthy. And that looks like it's going to be the five going forward because Ty Lue has emphasized several times now that he really likes that pairing. So because of that, it's important to look at what that group has done together. And again, this is all very small sample sizes because Westbrook has only been here for eight games, but we have to work with what we have. That five-man group of Russ, PG, Kawhi, Morris, and Zoo is a plus 14.4 per 100 possessions. Now, for comparison, the starting lineup of Man, PG, Kawhi, Morris, and Zoo was plus 14.8. So almost identical, almost identical 
to what we are seeing right now. And so many people were freaking out about Russ taking man spot in the starting lineup. And while I understand why people were concerned about that because of how good that group had been, I never fully understood the outrage and the people who were freaking out, acting like the season was about to end because of it. Because Ty Lue, while he has struggled this season for a good portion of the year, and I have been one of his most consistent critics on this podcast when it comes to the lineups that he has put out there, he still has shown a willingness when it matters most in the playoffs to bench players, to cut their minutes, to change their roles, regardless of their stature in the NBA and their status around the league, their status around the team. He has made hard decisions when it matters most. So for me, there was still a level of confidence. While it wasn't rooted in anything we have seen this year yet, because Ty has been so stubborn at times, that he would do what was best for the team when it matters most. And so far, in Russell Westbrook's eight games, we have seen Ty Lue do that to an extent. And I'm going to get into what I mean here in a second. Because Russell Westbrook's role has fluctuated pretty consistently in his time with the Clippers. I talked about it. I kind of hinted at it a little bit ago when I was talking about his attitude, whether he's playing 35 minutes or 22 minutes. And that's true. He has had games of 35 plus minutes and he's had games with less than 25 minutes. And I think that goes to show you that Ty Lue, even this early into the Russell Westbrook experiment, is willing to alter his minutes as necessary. When he first showed up, his very first game was that overtime game against the Kings. He played 39 minutes in the entire overtime until he fouled out. In the very next game, of course, that was the Denver game where the Clippers just looked bad. He played 25 minutes, then 28 minutes, 28 again. Then he played 36 minutes in that game against Sacramento when they were without Kawhi Leonard, 34 versus Memphis, 23 versus Toronto, and then 23 versus the Knicks. So that is back-to-back games where he played only 23 minutes and zero minutes in the fourth quarter. And in that comeback against Memphis, he played 34 minutes in the entire fourth quarter. You want to know why? Because it was working. Because he was part of a group that was making a comeback. And Ty Lue rode that group and let them complete the comeback. Now, I don't want to come off as a Ty Lue stand because I'm not. I do like him. I do think that he is proven to an extent in this league. But I also think he's been very bad for the, mo- for the majority of this season. So don't get me wrong here when I'm talking about Ty Lue's managing of Westbrook and Ty Lue's performance post-trade deadline. Don't, don't misconstrue that. Don't misunderstand that. And take me for being a Ty Lue stand because if you followed me, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I've been very critical of his moves this season. And I think he is a big part of why the Clippers are at risk of falling into the play-in tournament. If he had been locked in from day one, I think the Clippers would have at least five to ten more wins. So don't get me wrong here. But I do think that when it comes to Russell Westbrook in the minutes that Ty Lue has given him and the role that he has given him, the spots he has put him in, I think he's done about as good of a job as you could hope for if you're a Clippers fan. So you have to give credit where credit is due because so many of the people who are concerned about Russell Westbrook taking Terrence Mann's starting spot, their entire argument was based on the fact that Ty Lue would consistently play Russ 30 to 35 minutes and would never bench him down the stretch. 
He has already proven that false. So I think you have to take a step back and look at the facts here because what they're showing you is a willingness from Ty Lue to go away from Russ if the matchup demands it. And I think he actually could have played him a little bit more than he has in some of these games because he was a plus 12 against Toronto. He was playing really well. He was efficient, wasn't turning the ball over a whole lot, and didn't see any time down the stretch. And Ty Lue talked about Toronto's ball pressure really bothering the Clippers, especially Terrence Mann and Eric Gordon, who aren't traditional point guards, and those were the two backcourt guys in that game. And he admitted, I probably could have brought Russ back, but I was riding the group that was playing well, and the Clippers won the game, so you can't really complain. So I think you have to look at the way Ty Lue has already managed Russ in just his first eight games and assume that it's probably going to be similar, if not more magnified, come playoff time because the stakes are so much higher. So that is a point that I had to dive into because it goes directly against so many of the people who are literally saying this signing is going to end the Clippers season. I'm not joking. People said that. They said this signing is going to end the Clippers season. Any chance that they had of being a serious team, which I'm going to whisper here, they never were in the first place this season. They're saying, oh, that was out the window. They're never going to be serious. And I thought that was completely ridiculous because at what point pre-Russell Westbrook did the Clippers look like a serious championship contender? Because if you're citing that stretch with Terrence Mann as the starting point guard and you know that 8-2 and two record that they had and all those things that people cite, okay, yeah, sure, that's fine. They look good. But the concerns that we have had for the entire season were very much present during that stretch as well. I'm talking about choking games away at the end. The offense going flat when it matters most. All of those things were still very much there during that stretch. The Clippers were just getting fortunate to, one, be playing teams that were either bad or injured, and two, be on the right side of the ball bouncing your way when it matters most. And we've seen them be on the wrong side of that as well since acquiring Russell Westbrook. So for all the people pretending that the Clippers were cruising into contention before signing Russ, I think deep down inside they know better. And if they don't, they just haven't been paying enough attention because that was not the case. So when you look at the way that they have been trending over these last few games and the way that Ty Lue has managed the roster, you have to have a level of optimism that they're trending in the right direction. But what did I say before I got into this? I said Ty Lue has been better to an extent. What is that extent I'm talking about? It is Marcus Morris. That is where it stops for me. Because Ty Lue has shown a complete lack of a willingness to go away from Marcus Morris entirely this season. He has gone away from him for stretches. He has played him less minutes in certain games. But unlike Reggie Jackson who got benched entirely after way too long of a leash. And unlike Luke Kennard, who got benched entirely, which should have never happened, he had way too short of a leash. Unlike guys like Terrence Mann, who have had incredibly short leashes, we've seen him be out of the rotation at times. Robert Covington, completely out of the rotation. There's been so many guys who have had short leashes this season, despite longer stretches of consistent better play than Marcus Morris has gotten. And... Of course, some people are saying 
Clippers Twitter is going overboard on Morris. They're taking this Morris thing too far. They're over-exaggerating how bad he's been. Like, yes, some people are, are making that point, and maybe it's somewhat justified, but listen, there are a lot of concerning numbers with Marcus Morris's play. And I honestly don't think the numbers even do it justice enough. Because when you're watching him out there, and of course this is outside of the game against New York where he made three or four threes, was fine defensively. He got too much credit for uh, the defense on Julius Randle. Maybe part of that's my fault because I made that joke on Twitter about uh, after Ty Lue's comments pregame about Morris being physical with Randle. I posted Randle's line after the game. And I think anybody who really knew me uh, understood that that was there was some sarcasm there. It was a joke, and I even clarified underneath that that Kawhi PG and Zoo did most of the work. But fine, he he was okay against against New York. But that game against the Knicks came after a stretch of about ten straight games of really really bad Marcus Morris play on both ends, and that includes a stretch of two of seventeen from downtown. And as bad as his defense is. That was the most concerning thing to me because that's the one thing that he's out there for. You know, we had the toughness jokes, all that, but Marcus Morris is not out there for his defense. He's not. He's out there because he can space the floor and make shots. But he was not doing that during that 10-game stretch where he went 2 of 17 from downtown. That was the biggest concern to me because when teams are throwing multiple bodies at Kawhi, at PG, Russ is getting inside, you know, painting sprays, driving and kicking. And Morris is getting the wide open shot and he's bricking it. That is a killer. And that was happening consistently for a couple of weeks as he went two of 17 from downtown. So many of those were clean looks. But when it comes to Morris, you feel as if his shot's going to come back, at least to some extent. But one of the things that is not coming back and is just only going to continue to get worse as both the season goes on and his career goes on because it just means more mileage on his knees is his defense. Amongst all players who average as many minutes per game as Marcus Morris does, he is contesting the ninth fewest shots per game in the entire NBA. So he is just not getting out to his man. And that is a big-time concern. And it begins to explain what I'm about to get into next. Because the Clippers are 4.1 points per 100 possessions better defensively when Marcus Morris sits, which is the second largest swing on the team, second to only Eric Gordon. And this is incredibly wild and equally concerning because Morris has played 69% of his minutes this season next to Zubats. He's played 67% of his minutes this season next to Paul George and half of his minutes this season next to Kawhi Leonard. So to have that big of a negative on-off defensive swing when the majority of your minutes are coming next to the team's three best defenders is really concerning, and I can't even believe that it's true. I've double-checked that stat about 10 times, and I can't believe that it's true. So for that reason, and so many others, I believe Nico or Rocco give you everything that the best version of 2023 Marcus Morris gives you while also offering several other things that Morris doesn't offer and not coming with so many of the drawbacks that Morris does have. That is my belief 
but I don't even like spending too much time on it because as I just said, I believe it was my last podcast episode, there has been no indication that this is going to change. So for all the people complaining about it, me included, I just think we're wasting our time because Ty Lue trusts Morris and there's a chance that he trusts them to a fatal fault. But we'll see if that ends up being the case because to a lesser extent, Ty Lue has shown some willingness to limit Morris's minutes over the last few games. Because there have been some times where, one, he started Nico in the second half. And again, guys, don't take this wrong. Don't take this as Ty Lue praise because it's not. But it's just the level of concern that we should have. He did start Nico over him in that one second half. He has cut his minutes down from where they have been at times. But in terms of his starting role, I wouldn't expect it to change because Ty has talked pretty consistently about how much he likes that group and wants to continue building off of it. So for those who wait for my starting lineup tweet every game and get upset about seeing Morris, one, I hear you. Two, I understand you. Three, you're not wrong. But four, it's probably not going to change. <laughs> it's probably not going to change. As much as we all would like to see it change, it doesn't look like it is going to. So as we wrap things up here, I want to circle back to where I started with Russell Westbrook and my overall sense on where this team is going, what direction they're trending in. Because as I talked about for a large majority of this podcast, Russell Westbrook has actually been very good. The Clippers have been very good with him on the floor, and I think there's reason to believe they're only going to get better. Russell Westbrook is a unique player. He is easy to play with for a lot of reasons, but he's also unique to play with. There's a lot of things that you have to adjust to when playing with a guy like him. And that doesn't that's not a negative thing in my eyes. It's things like being ready for passes that you wouldn't have got previously. I think there's been a couple of times where Zoo would have had easy dunks, but he just wasn't ready for the pass. It's things like just being in the right position offensively. Um, there's a lot of different things that Westbrook provides that the Clippers still have to get used to, and yet despite that, he has the best on-off swing on the team eight games into his Clippers tenure. So I think the Russ thing is only going to continue to get better. And if for some reason it doesn't, Ty Lue has shown a willingness to go away from him. So I feel good about where the Russ thing is going. As for the Clippers as a team, they are currently sitting in fifth place at the time I record this podcast. They're on a three-game winning streak, but they are still just one loss above the play-in tournament. As good as you can feel about the way they're playing the last three games, they have a six-game losing streak this season and a five-game losing streak this season. And a lot of ups and downs in between those two stretches. So all of that has led to them only being one loss above the play-in tournament right now, which is not a comfortable place to be. Because with as good as Kawhi Leonard has looked, Paul George has looked better lately. Russell Westbrook has been good. You're getting good production from some of your new pieces. You know, Plumlee's had his moments. Eric's had his moments. You're still just one loss above the play-in tournament. So any sort of slippage throws you right back into that 7 through 10, and you're in some big-time trouble. So the Clippers have to keep their foot on the gas pedal and turn this three-game winning streak into a four-game winning streak, five-game winning streak, six-game winning streak, maybe win eight out of 10, nine out of 10. You know what I mean? That's the type of run that the Clippers need to end the season because the other teams around them aren't going to slow down either. 
They've been getting fortunate with teams like Dallas having Luka out. You know, guys have been missing. Obviously, Cat's been out for Minnesota for so long. There's teams around the league that are missing key players, and it's helped the Clippers stay afloat while they've missed guys, while they've performed poorly. But guys are starting to come back. Cat's going to be back soon. Hopefully, Luka's going to be back soon. Kyrie's missed time. Steph Curry is back. The Western Conference is going to start to heat up as we enter the playoffs. If the Clippers aren't ready to match that, they could very easily find themselves in the play-in. And then now all of a sudden, you're a loss or two away from not even getting a seven-game playoff series. So that's where the mindset has to be right now. And I believe with a guy like Russell Westbrook on the team, that is where the mindset is going to be, which is why I probably have the most optimism in the Clippers right now than I have had all season. I still don't think they've shown the level of dominance that a championship team shows, but I think they have a chance to begin trending in that direction if they appropriately build off of this three-game winning streak. And as I always say, I will have the coverage for you in written form and podcast form, maybe some videos on Twitter as well. And you guys know where to find me. Until next time, you guys, much love and go Clippers.